The uh, quiz today at the top, were you able to read the entire reading assignment for today's class? If it, yeah, if you could mark yes or no there. If yes, you can add a, if yes, add a plus one to that, you'll get an extra bonus point today. Good job. That won't always be the case, but today is a little, you know, a little extra. Uh, number one, according to Adams, what is the purpose for the preaching of God's word in the church? Is it A, edification, B, publicity, C, entertainment, or D, education? A, edification. Very good. What does edification mean? To build up. Yeah, so that's the purpose of preaching, right, uh, in the church. Number two, true or false, Bible edification is viewed both as an individual and corporate matter. True. Very good. It's not just one or the other. Number three, what is one good reason given in the book that we should make it a practice to preach from a scripture portion? A, it makes life easier. B, it gives us something to talk about. C, it follows Jesus' example. D, it helps everyone follow along. E, it teaches people how to read along in their Bible. C, did anyone pick anything other than C? I picked E because I thought you were talking about how people study the Bible. I did say that in the, in the class, and so I will accept E, even though it's not technically in the book. Uh, I thought that somebody might pick that. Yeah. So you, I will allow that, even though technically that's incorrect. Uh, the, the point, does anybody remember what he talks about? What's Jesus, when he stands up to get, remember, when he stands up in the synagogue, he preaches from Isaiah, right? And, 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 he, and he, he takes the scripture reading. And so the idea of, uh, that we're following Jesus' example here of, of portion of scripture, okay? Number four, short answer, give one reason why preachers today have no authority to preach their own notions or opinions. What do you have? The authority comes from the word of God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Something like without the Spirit's authority, you have no authority, or there's no prom- promise. God does not promise to bless our words. He promises to bless his words. Um, and preaching is when the Spirit is at work, not when we're at work. Something to that effect. What, does anybody have something they want to ask about? Charles? Uh, it may not be biblical. biblical. It may not be biblical. Sure, I'll take it. Yeah. 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 If you have a question, just put a question mark. What? What's it say? Yep, that's good. Yep, yep. How do we know the purpose of a book? Uh, speaking here, of course, a book of the Bible, not, not a book... Um, although I guess you could uh, apply anyway. Infer it from the contents of the book itself or find obvious statements of the purpose in the book itself. All of the above or none of the above? It's all, yeah. So sometimes what you'll find is that the book will tell you these things have been written so that you may believe or sometimes you don't have a purpose for the book. It's not explicit and you have to infer it. That's what that means. You have to kind of Gather information and make the best judgment you can. Okay, what's the key word that Adams uses? Yeah, tell us. Tell us. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Whoops. Um, telic. He uses the word telic or telos. Anybody have anything close to that but not that? That I can give like half credit? What, what's, what's it spelled like? That's close enough, yeah. Yeah. So... Telos, or in the Greek, it looks like this. Which is, that's what you're trying to. Yeah, I mean, it's close enough. Um, this is a very important word, and this has to do with the word literally means end. Okay, something's end, or its purpose, or its goal, its goal, its reason for being. Why is it? Okay. And uh, it, this is a very, very important. Um, we talk about the teleological meaning the, the things have a purpose. Um, so telos, you'll find this a lot in English. There's a lot of uses of this word. And, and this is a very important concept in, in the book that Adams writes about preaching. He basically, the point is that every passage has a purpose and there are sub-purposes within uh, a book. There's a main purpose of the Bible and there's, there are um, more specific purposes within books that all support that main purpose. And then there's, there are, so um, if you think of it like, there's the Bible, which has, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, you know, and so there's the overarching purpose, and then there's the purpose within the book, or within the Testament, 
And then there's the purpose within the genre of the Testament, and there's the purpose within the book, then within the chapter, etc. And everything needs to fit within the broader purpose. You see how everything kind of fits within the broader purpose. So you're not going to preach something in the Old Testament that teaches that, that the Lord is not the only God, that, that the Lord is one of many gods. Okay? And you might say, well, it says here that he's the great king above all gods. And so therefore there must be other gods that he's a great king above. Well, no, that's not, we have to understand it within its purpose and within the broader purpose and within the broader context. You can't just pick a verse out of context and preach that to the detriment of the broader purpose. We would never do that with our conversation, with our writing. Um, So we should, we never do it with the Bible either. So that's a very important word. And it's an extra five points. If you got that, you got plus five. Um, of course, this is a 20-point quiz, meaning that, oh, I'm sorry, plus four, not five. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, plus four, plus four. Um, so it's like a whole question. So the, the, the first one? The yes and no is just plus one, which is like an extra maximum little. 20. Maximum 25. Uh, maximum 25 out of 20. So gray, I put the gray at the top and pass it in. Maximum 25. So there's a four at the bottom, four extra points at the bottom, and one point at the top for the reading. 25 out of 20 is the maximum. Yeah, if you could just pass them all the way around to, to Rachel here and she can give them to me. All right, there's two handouts for you. One is a handout of text selections for preaching and teaching spring 2021. This is going to go at the back of your notebook uh, after your appendix. Uh, is the, the page number I have there. But now the page numbers are all out of whack because I inserted another little lecture. I know. It's terrible. If you really need me to, I, well, I'm not going to print you a new one. I'll send you a, some sort of digital copy if you really must. But at the back, there probably is a spot for you to put it. Basically, what this is, um, if you... Um, as we talk about everybody's... everybody's um, uh, passages. This will just be helpful for you, so you have it all there, and you can make notes. So, this here is just everyone in the class. I just started here, Ryan, Kevin, Pat, kind of where you were sitting, and went around and put everybody's everybody's stuff here. Okay, so there's that. There is no other order or anything to that. Secondly, there's a lecture that I'd like to talk with you guys about. Since we have like four people here doing narrative, being stories. Um, there is a front and back that will go after your block diagramming page, so on page 35. Uh, it'll be inserted right there, okay? Am I confusing you? Oh, you? So after page 33, right before, yeah, you're put there. So there are going to be two page 35s. I know. It's going to drive me nuts. Well, 35A and 35A. Yeah, just... just yeah. I, wa- I, I didn't want to, uh, I could have put it at the end, but it really goes about right there. So, so <laughs> well, but it's two pages. So, yeah, it's front and back. So, all right. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, let's look at your uh, assignment sheet because uh, I want to make sure we don't miss anything here. Um, Reading journal check today. I need to check your reading journal. Do you have a way? I, did everybody bring a reading journal thing? Good, good, good. Yes. Um, i tell you what we'll do. At the end of the class, remind me, and I will just, if you could bring them up to me and let me take a look at them and just check off and make sure you've done what we're supposed to do. And uh, if you forgot it or something, if you could send me a scan by tonight or picture by tonight on your phone uh, over email great. Uh, but I think it looks like a lot of, be, a lot of you guys brought them. That's good. Um, if you totally forgot to do your reading assignment, just be honest about it and say, I forgot. It's all right. Uh, right. Um, let's talk about uh, today we're going to get into observation. So uh, there's important, if you turn to page, where does observation start um, for you guys? Let's see in your notes here. Um, number fit 23, page 23. Unit two. So we're kind of moving out of philosophy, big picture philosophy ideas into the practical nuts and bolts of how to prepare a message. Um, 
What does the sermon need? The sermon needs several things. Chapel, Brian Chapel, who is one of my favorite homiletician, like homiletics guys. Homiletics is just the, 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 the study of preaching. Um, he says that the sermon needs three things. The first one is it needs unity. Okay, the sermon needs unity. Um, how many things is a sermon about? It's about one thing. Now, it may have several things underneath that one thing that support it or that help prove it or are examples of it, whatever. But your sermon should be about one thing or your lesson. I see sermon, but you know, if you're not preaching, it's a lesson, whatever. It should be about one thing. And, and you'll notice that most of the time when we're preaching here at church, our messages have one main idea and it's explained or it is uh, illustrated or it is um, whatever, a bunch of different ways. But there's basically one idea. Um, so you should strive for unity because both speakers and listeners need focus. Um, he says on page 47 of Christ Center Preaching, unity strives for the communication of biblical truth, not merely forced discovery or statement. Unity is communicating biblical truth. We want to have a single singular idea the worst kind of messages are the ones that have too many ideas in them okay there are too many ideas nobody can keep track it's confusing it doesn't make sense you want to have a singular focus this is also what distinguishes preaching from teaching in that teaching can have a bunch of different ideas you can bounce all around the place and preaching you're really trying to hone in on one specific idea to communicate to people so that god's word is impacting them on one area of their life so they can have a have a interact so the spirit of god can work in their hearts and they can have a real uh, experience of change and repentance and 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 confession or whatever it might be that god is driving home uh, for them so unity number two is purpose um purpose the key concept uh that we're going to talk about uh, through our worksheets as well is that the following condition focus or i will often call it the fcf Reveals a text's and a sermon's purpose. Now, those of you who were here last time might remember me talking about the FCF. Um, and if you've been in Drew's class when he does the sermon prep, he does the same thing I do here about discovering the FCF. But if you haven't done that before, this might be a little bit intimidating. But really, the fallen condition focus, all that is, if you notice the definition right below that, it says the fallen condition focus is the mutual human condition that contemporary believers share with those to or about whom the text was written that requires the grace of the passage for God's people to glorify and enjoy him. Simply put, there is a shared condition that we have with the people to whom the Bible was originally written. And we have to discover what that shared fallenness is we were fallen at the fall at the fall genesis chapter 3 describes the fall of man we are not perfect are you perfect i don't think so uh, and we need god's grace to change us and all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is what Profitable. for Teaching. doctrine reproof correction instruction and righteousness god is using his word to change us every passage of scripture is there for a reason Everything in the Bible has a purpose. And if, if, if the Bible did not have it, there would be something missing. Okay, so there's something there that we have to discover is there for a purpose. And you might be looking at your passage and saying, I don't see it. It's there. You have to look and see what has God given that scripture for. There is something that, that um, the, the, I use this, these words sometimes, the then and the now. There is a, there is a connection between the then and the now, of what did they, what, how are they like us? Now, there are differences in culture. Um, there's a distance between the original uh, Bible audience and our, our culture. They didn't have Facebook or Instagram, okay? But they do have the verse that says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So how would you apply that verse in today as it relates to, does that only apply to that which comes out of your mouth? How about out of your pen? How about out of your ballpoint pen? How about out of your keyboard? How about out of your thumbs? 
right? All of that applies, but it didn't apply then. I mean, it did in a way. There was, there's a fallen condition. What's the fallen condition focus that that passage is addressing? Our communication. Okay, what about, what about our... That's, that's not a fallen condition, though. The sinfulness of our communication. Okay, the sinfulness of our communication. The fact that The fact that people communicate corruptly with one another. Right? That we spew nasty, filthy things out of our mouths that defile each other. That we say things to one another that burdens others with sin. That I have the power in my tongue to cut you down and to burden your heart. I do. James spoke on that. James talks about that in James chapter 3. Right? So when the Bible tells us, let no corrupt communication, it's a direct, uh, uh, a, a, um, a direct command to us that was not written, follow me, not directly to 21st century Christians. He doesn't say, let no corrupt communication come out of your Instagram feed. But it, that's what it means. That's how you apply it. So, but how do you get from here to there? How do you get from then to now? And you use the FCF. You understand the, the condition we share. We are both fallen. We are corrupt just like they are corrupt. We have problems just like they have problems. We are sinners like they were sinners. And there is a connection that we have, and that's the FCF. So we'll get into that more. So the last, of course, and we just talked about that, is application. Uh, a sermon is not a sermon without application. You must apply the passage. Uh, without the so what, we preach to a who cares. I love that. Um, if, if we get up there and just, and just talk and talk and talk about things that don't, you know, that don't, aren't relevant to, the, to re, the, the, the listener, then we have missed the boat on that. So, so understanding the passage part one, there are three parts to understanding what a passage says. And I gave you a couple arrows there before you can get to the now. So it, it, as I think through this shape of the message, I often draw this up. This is the, um, what it means to me, you know, um, over here. And this, this is what it meant. So a passage can never say what it never meant. Okay. Passage can never say what it never meant. Um, before you can get to what the passage means for me, the application, the end of the sermon, we have to understand what the passage says. So we're going to start here and we're going to write on that, on that, where that uh, arrow is going up. There's going to be a big arrow here. You're going to write um, what it says. Okay? This is what you're going to write. What it says. And this is a visual representation of what happens as you apply the passage. And this is the process of observation. Okay? Okay, everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. Okay, what color are the chairs you're sitting in? Green. What kind of green? It's an army green. It's a dirty green. What color are the legs of the chairs you're sitting in? Gray. Okay, what metal? Gray. Okay. Um, what, color <laughs> what color are the walls in this room? They're white. Okay. The green? Is that what's my cream? Oh, okay. Uh, is that is that the best you can do? Okay. What what is the ceiling in this room? What the, what do we do with the ceiling? What kind of ceiling is it? It's a drop ceiling. It's a drop ceiling with what kind of lighting? Fluorescent. Fluorescent lighting. Are the fluorescent lights lights square or rectangle? Rectangle. Cylindric. Cylindric. Oh, there you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, okay, the diffusers, the lenses, or wait, no, what are they? Okay, anything else in the ceiling besides lights and, and tiles? Pockmarks, yeah. Okay, open your eyes. Okay, we got vents. We have intakes. We have uh, uh, speakers, which you can't really see. These are um, not square. They're, they're rectangles, and this is a very much of a cream. This is not white room. Um, yeah, you're right. These are greenish. Uh, but observation, like how, how, being aware of your surroundings and being aware of what the text says is so important. Like, like paying attention to small details can really, really benefit you. Uh, when, when, and I'm not just talking about being aware of, of your physical surroundings. But when you're looking at what the Bible says, don't assume. 
A lot of us act like the Bible around the Bible like we do around our house. We've been in our house a million times. We know where things are. We we forget to to, to look. Have you ever like not when we have company coming over? You're like, oh my goodness, I didn't see that everything was a disaster. <laughs> Stuff out everywhere, and you're like, ah, I gotta quickly clean up because you just get used to it, right? It's that way with the Bible. We get used to the way something is said, and we just don't pay attention, and so we not we're not being observant. So when we talk about observation. We're doing a lot of work on the observation. We're asking a lot of questions to understand what the text is actually saying. And I have a, a little picture of a pyramid uh, there to give you the idea um, uh, here. And the point of the pyramid is simply, hang on, let me pull up my, uh, my digital notes here because I, I made, I made some, some notes I'm going to need to reference real quick, is that the, the, the more solid your base Okay, the wider your base, the taller your building can go. Okay, so the more work you do in the observation, you might feel like you're doing a lot of observation work, and you might be thinking, well, Pastor Marshall, when does the actual like sermon writing start? Like, when do I get to start doing an outline? And you might be feel like you're doing way too much of this kind of material. Well, this is very important. Without solid foundation here, you won't be able to do very much elsewhere. I will tell you that the majority of my work and when I do sermon prep is in this part of the prep. And I feel like some, I, I tell Jenna the, the, often, I, I, I say, man, I feel like I'm still spinning my wheels. I, 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 the, way I, the way I describe my sermon process is that it's an act of faith every week because I spin my wheels for days and then all of a sudden it catches and whoop, then you're out. It's like you're spinning your wheels in mud and like finally it catches and boom, now you're off to the races. And once you've done all this work, once you get going, you're like, oh, boom, 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 boom. Everything kind of falls into place. And it's like, God is good. And we have an outline. It's, it's you know, Thursday, Friday morning. And I can get it to Grace so she can put it in the, in the, um, uh, in the bulletin and we're good to go. But like, you know, I, I, have a, I have a rough outline today for Sunday, but I don't know what my title is. <laughs> I don't know what my illustrations are. I don't know anything like that. You know, it's kind of like it's act of faith. And I'm spinning my wheels. I'm doing a lot of observation, hoping that something's going to catch. But you have to do that and understand that if you try to start building too quickly, you know what's going to happen? It's going to fall over. It will fall over. I have, I have messages that I started too early. And you get into it and you start working and you realize it's not what it's saying. You gotta go back. You have two choices at that point. Do I keep going anyway, or do I start over? You know what you gotta do if you're gonna be honest, because you don't have any business saying what you think and what your notions are. Remember what we said? Your only business in standing behind the pulpit or standing and talking to someone from the Word of God is giving them what God says. And if you realize that what you're saying is not what God says, but what you say, you have no other choice but to start over. So. Always, always spend time here in observation. Um, as we look at the, um, this here, this, this, this uh, pyramid, the, the, yeah, the depth of the explanation and the precision of your application are the two areas. If you want to write that down, uh, really where you see the, um, so the depth of your explanation and the precision of your application are the areas that you will find the most benefit from deep study. So the depth of your explanation, the precision of your application. So you'll probably spend more time on this section than anything else. Okay? So uh, those two phrases, depth of the explanation and precision of the application. Yeah. Um, So that is, if you were to say how tall your building can go, again, using this, it, the, the better your base, the more time you spend in observation, it doesn't seem like it's connected, but it is. Like if you're talking about like the, the, doing, the, doing the work of studying your passage, of understanding the ins and outs of your passage, the better you understand your scripture passage that you're going to be preaching or teaching, the more, the more in-depth your explanation will be, the better depth your explanation will be. And the more precise you will be in your application. You can really hone in on on application and this is another misnomer people think that in order for your application to have impact it has to be broad that's the opposite of truth okay the the better application the 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 best applications are extremely precise applications because what happens is is in the in like stories the best stories are extremely detailed stories that are precise not broad stories if you get a very specific the specific is what makes people understand 
uh, how to apply it to their lives. Yes, ma'am. Do you think very specific um, means you can't reach as many people? No, it's the opposite. So you think that. You would think that. You would think, well, if I get really specific, then people aren't going to, like, um, get this. Like, uh, if, I, if, I'm, if I, but here, and we'll talk about this with application, but um, the way application works, and I, the way, um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, is that when you apply a passage, I try to get extremely specific in one scenario and then kind of roll out a couple more examples of parallel examples. So I think to myself, okay, give me, who, who, who's a good example? I, I either pick a person or I pick a kind of person. So I'll say, I'm, I'm thinking of a 30, I, I'm 36, so let's pick somebody about my age, about 36-year-old, um, single mom. Uh, husband uh, is, is divorced, husband lives somewhere else, kids are split, uh, a lot of stress working, and has kids in public schools. Uh, she, you know, how would this, how would she be obedient to this passage? Or grandfather who has, you know, 10 grandkids and he and his wife live by themselves. They don't have a lot of interaction. COVID right now is impacting them. So if you get really specific on how that passage impacts that person, the people in the audience, you know, we're all different, but you can hear echoes. Oh, I see how that works in real life. And then you start to understand how it applies to your life. I'm not going to be able to go down the line and say, okay, for Ryan, here's how you need to apply this passage. And for Kevin, here's how it works. Uh, because number one, I don't know your life as well as you know your life. And, Spirit, and that, that's not my job too. It's the Spirit's job, right? But I am required to apply the scripture. And we'll, again, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to give you a taste of that. Uh, but in the specific, uh, the reason I say the precision of your application, the precision of your FCF, um, of if you can get really precise on what this passage is about, then it really starts to open up uh, how to apply this passage and how to preach or teach this passage. Um, and, and, and we'll get into, again, don't, don't worry, we'll get into more of it as time goes on. Um, so the, the blank there, uh, you need to commit to, the, I think it's a blank, the portion of your work provides the foundation foundation for your sermon, your message, your lesson. If you're unable to provide a solid foundation, you'll not be able to build a solid structure <clears throat> on top of that foundation. Uh, you'll probably spend more time here than any other time. Um, uh, also, I need to commit to solid exegesis. Uh, when we do exegesis, <clears throat> we need to be sure we are drawing out of the text instead of putting into the text. That's what exegesis means. Exegesis just means to draw out like, uh, like a well, like drawing out. Um, is the picture, there's water in the well, you're drawing it, drawing it out. Um, so we don't want to read things into the text. That's a bad way of doing preaching. Um, proper method of drawing things out is to ask questions of the text and look for answers in the text. So you're going to say, there are some questions. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And you're going to look for the answers there. Notice I'm not saying you go look at commentaries yet. You don't Google this stuff. You don't go to Wikipedia. You don't go to your Bible commentary on your dad's shelf or whatever. You look at what the Bible says. Start there. Um, we might, we must, rec I put this in here just as a, uh, you know, we must recognize you might not be completely satisfied with all your answers. There are questions that you have that may not have good answers. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but those things which are revealed to belong to us and to our children forever that we may what do <laughs> all the words, the words of this law. There is, there are some things friends that, that we won't understand this side of heaven that you may really get curious about. I'm like, I just don't, I, you know, I don't get this, or this is really confusing, or how does this work? And there are sometimes we just throw up our hands and say, you know what? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, the best analogy I can give is that when your kids ask you things and you try to explain to them about economics or the stock market or about international law, and they're, you know, the best you can to a eight-year-old and, um, there is a cap there of wisdom. <laughs> They're not going to be able to grasp, and I don't get it. Yeah, I, I know. You have to wait till you're older. I think that's kind of one day God will, will, will go to heaven or, or whatever, we'll have new, new bodies and uh, glorified bodies and a new, a new mind, and we'll be like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. I think when we stand before Christ, you're not going to have questions. Yeah, because they're going to be answered already. That that very well may Once be the we case. We see him for who he is. You'll be like, I, 
Yeah. I don't have any more questions anymore. There is, there is another line of thinking that says that uh, the mysteries are so great that we'll spend all of eternity um, being, being enamored by the mystery and beauty and grandeur of God. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's something to think about. Uh, Piper says, the word, that's the focus. All Christian preaching should be the exposition and application of biblical texts. Our authority as preachers sent by God rises and falls with our manifest allegiance to the text of Scripture. Um, I love uh, good Christian writings, but I'm not going to get up and preach Herbert's poetry or John Donne's poetry, even though I probably could. You know, probably could preach some of those holy sonnets, but I'm not going to because it's not the Word of God. Um, Milton. Milton's another of my favorites. Uh, it might be tempting to think, or it might be tempting for you to decide ahead of time what you're going to say. Hold back. Wait until you make sure you know what the passage is saying, what the passage is teaching. The passage can never say what it never said. So, you know, make sure you don't try to make the passage say something. Uh, I used, I've used examples over and over again in this class. I, I mentioned last week uh, about da- uh, David. Uh, David and Goliath, a very famous phrase where he says, uh, he says, uh, is, it not, is there not a cause? Uh, he's not calling them to a higher cause, like we would say today, that this is a good cause. He, a word there is davar, just means a word. He basically, it's a Hebrew idiom for saying, well, well, I was just saying a word. I just said a word. It's not a big deal. So we need to be careful. If you get into, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause to go and conquer your Goliath? That's not what he's saying. So be careful you understand what the text is saying so you're not uh, saying what you want to say. You're saying what God has said. Uh, another way to understand what the passage is saying, observation, is be genre-sensitive. Genre, that's a fancy French word that just means category. So different genres present different challenges for preaching. The books of the Bible were written by different men and therefore have different styles. Yes, the Bible is inspired. However, it was inspired through men. Therefore... We have human language, and uh, we have several different uh, genres here. Epistolary literature. What is epistolary literature? Letters. Letters. Yeah, and I, I call that making the argument. Very often, epistles are making the argument. There's, there's an argumentation form. There is a uh, not like a bad argument, like you get in a fight with someone, but rather a um, like a debate, like making a point. Narratives, telling a story talk about that. I just did a whole lecture today on narrative, which I think you'll find very interesting. I don't know if we'll get to it today. I kind of hope we do. Prophecy, preaching the sermon, okay, and gospel accounts. I just call that seeing Jesus. So whether they're miracle accounts or teaching or whatever the case might be. When you say prophecy there, is that the actual, like, what's going to happen ahead of time? Or is that just like the prophetic, like, teaching the word of God? So, yeah, prophecy, prophecy in the Bible. So prophetic books would include books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Those books are prophetic books. Jonah would be more of a narrative. So not like Revelation. Revelation would be a prophetic book too, yeah. But in prophetic books, there's a mis- there's the thought, a lot of people, that it's all about the future, where most of prophecy is their sermons. Their, pre- their sermons, thus says the Lord. You, you notice they're, they're almost all full of sermons, and they contain some prophetic material, but um, it is. And normally it has something, normally it's calling on the people to repent. It's calling on the people to uh, see their sin or to see God or whatever. And so I like to think of them as sermons because that's what they are. And um, so when we, I say prophecy, I'm not talking about the future necessarily, although that is even in, in Revelation, there's a lot of prophetic uh, sermon, sermonizing going on there too. Um, but th- that's more apocalyptic. There's another whole genre called apocalyptic. I'm not sure how much I really buy into apocalyptic being its own genre. Um, that's another debate. But Daniel and, and Revelation kind of have their own unique style, and Zechariah as well has a little bit of that, where it's all in time stuff. Visions of heaven and earth. I wouldn't worry about it. Nobody's preaching on Revelation, are they? Okay, well, let's not worry about that. No, we're good. We're good. Um, also, you need to not only be genre. So, so the reason we do this, we, I, I say this, but we typically 
kind of automatically adjust to genre. So for example, if you're reading, a, who's reading a novel right now in their private time? Okay, good, good. Everybody's read, everybody should be reading a novel. Yes. Uh, you finished it. Uh, you, you know, if you're reading a novel, it's going to be different than if you pick up the newspaper. You know what a newspaper is, kids? Okay. Uh, if, you, um, if you see a Facebook post, that is different than reading a sign on the side of the road. If you see an ad in the newspaper, it's different than hearing a news on the radio. Okay. The, the genre, even, even the news reports are different. They're different genre of like sports versus news. There's a different way that is communicated. Um, so genre is, it, we automatically know the rules. There are rules and conventions whenever we talk about genre. Same in Bible. So poetry has different rules and conventions than does narrative, than does epistolary, than does gospel. They, they're different ways they communicate. It does not mean that poetry is not true or real or that narrative is not true or real or anything like that. It just means that there are different rules. And you normally can, you, you normally read those without even realizing that you're adopting those rules. But we want to be careful whenever we get really deep. Not, for example, Proverbs. Proverbs are general rules of thumb. Okay, they're not promises. They're Proverbs. So when the Bible says, you know, he who walks with the wise shall be wise and a companion of fools will be destroyed. Well, what about those companions of fools who go on to run the country and make lots of money? <laughs> Is the Bible not true? No, he's telling a general rule of thumb. There's a general rule of thumb of Proverbs that, in general, if you hang out with bad people, you will end up in bad places. That's what that's teaching. It's not teaching that every single person who has a companion who's a fool will end up being destroyed immediately. Maybe it'll take a long time. You know, so we want to be careful. Does that make sense? We're all on the same page? Okay, let's keep going. I don't want to belabor that point. Discern the limits. Um, you need to define or discern the limits of the passage preached. Figure out how much to include in your preaching and teaching text. Now, some of you already done this, and we might refine this a little bit more as we look at your texts. But um, you need to do a couple of things. Get enough of the context so you understand the point being made. You don't want to drop in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of a story even. Sometimes you have to be careful about stories. If you, if you catch, like if you miss something, you might, you might miss some important context. But then again, you, every story is kind of connected to the previous uh, in, in some of these passages. So you can't go all the way back to the beginning. Um, so you should look for different things with different genres on where to look for the division. So for narratives, you have an introduction, rising action, crisis point, falling action, and denouement. It's a fancy word for wrapping things up. It's, a, you know, uh, it's conclusion. Uh, it's not denouement. It's denouement. Um, in Psalms or poetry, you're looking for poetic units or subunits. So uh, Psalms, you probably preach a whole psalm. Uh, or maybe Psalm 119, you preach a section from Psalm 119. Uh, Proverbs, you might even um, be able to preach several Proverbs uh, sections or collections of Proverbs. In poetry, also a lot of prophetic books are poetry. Proverbs, there's differences in verse. Did you know this? If you read chapters 1 through 9, they're very different from chapters 10 through 31. Chapters 1 through 9 are in groups. You have whole sections on laziness and on purity, etc. If you try to group together the Proverbs in chapters 10 through 31, you'll have some difficulties. That's true. You have the section in there, yeah. Proverbs 31, woman, yeah. Uh, prophecy or apocalyptic, vision, signs, stories, gospel. Genre within genre. You have miracle stories. You have uh, parables. You have teaching. You have different kinds of interactions with Jesus. You have conf- Jesus has confrontations, and he has calling stories. There are stories, there are, there are genre within genre. You have Jesus calling people to be his disciples and you have Jesus confronting the Pharisees and you have Jesus with the leadership and you have Jesus with the maniacs and with the sick people. You have different kinds of stories. So take that for what it's worth. You have epistles as well. So the rule of thumb is that your preaching unit should be long enough to communicate a complete thought, but short enough to communicate it in one sitting. Does that make sense? So for narrative, you're looking at basically one story for a Psalm. You're looking at one Psalm or portion of a Psalm for Proverbs, a collection Prophecy, one prophetic vision or one story for the gospel, one teaching unit, parable, one parable, one collection of parables, one miracle story. So like, for example, Luke 15 is the parable of the lost things. You have the lost sheep, you have the lost coin, you have the lost son. 100 to 1, 10 to 1, 2 to 1. So it's a climactic parable. The three go together. You could 
just preach the parable of the prodigal son if you wanted to, and you would still have an okay message. You could do that. But if you really want to do a cool, like a, a, a powerful message, you start with the parable of the lost sheep, and you move to the parable of the lost coin, and then you have this climactic parable of the lost, parable of the lost son where the one who thought was lost was not the one who was lost because the one at home was the one who was really lost, not the one who was gone. You see, there's like a, yeah, mind blown. So it, it's a, it's a um, you, you have to decide how, how much you want to do. So I, I, I included a bunch of stuff here from Adam's book. You see that telos, the preaching portion, the sub-sub telos, the sub-telos, etc. That's what I was trying to draw up here earlier to describe. That's from your book. Um, the idea of you're working within your purpose. Okay. Um, observe the text. So when you observe the text, this is really getting down to the nitty-gritty of what you do when you're doing observation. Um, during the process, you might find it especially helpful to con- collect, consult multiple Bible translations of your passage to see how they might be translated differently. Um, I gave you uh, Bible translations for reading and study. As a, uh, I do this with my intro class. I did it with uh, Rand, um, Larry's class a couple weeks ago. But uh, feel free to, to look at that. It gives you an idea of how different translations might take a certain passage. So when you do observation, you ask questions and get answers. There's five W's and an H. They are who, what, when, where, why, and how. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Who is speaking? Who is involved? What is happening? When is it happening? Where are they? Where do they go? Does the location change? Why do things happen the way they do? How does this happen? How are we supposed to do what God is calling us to do? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Very, very important to ask these questions. You think these are so basic. Yes. Yes, it will take a long time to do this, but it is very valuable. By asking questions of the Bible, we're able to find answers. Also, we're looking for changes in the text, changes in audience, changes in mood, changes in subject, changes in vocabulary. You're going to look for repeated words or ideas. And when you look for repeated words or ideas, you're going to work to discern a theme. So 1 Corinthians 13, who's preaching that one? Okay. Have you noticed, as you've read your passage, any repeating words in 1 Corinthians 13? Like? Love and actually the word all. Yes. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All, all, all. Yeah. And the word love. What if you got up to preach 1 Corinthians 13 or teach 1 Corinthians 13? You said, today we're going to talk about mercy. (laughs) What's wrong with that? It's not talking about mercy. It's talking about love. And love is not mercy. It's different. Now, there may be certain aspects to mercy that involve love, but if your passage is about love, talk about love. If your passage is about justice, talk about justice. Pat's preaching from Ephesians chapter 6. It's about spiritual warfare, right? We're not going to talk about forgiveness. I mean, it it might come in sideways, but it's not the main point. What's your main idea? The one idea, the unity, is going to be what the passage is about. Nobody should be surprised. I one time preached a message from Job. Uh, in a preaching class when I was in seminary. And um, I got to the end of my sermon and gave my, my, my theme. And one of my, stu- my, my uh, classmates said, he was like, he kind of jerked. <laughs> and he said, that was really confusing. He said, because I really thought you were going this direction. And then you gave me this. And it, I didn't understand how you got there. It was a terrible, terrible job because what I did was I talked about this main theme the whole time, but then I had decided that really I wanted this to be my main theme of the book of Job. And I totally failed in my goal because it, it surprised them. And you should never surprise people with your, with your, with your theme. Like it may be cute to do that in a story that you're writing. Like if you're doing creative writing and you may have like a twist at the end, it's not, you don't do that in preaching. You should never have a twist. Because it should not take anybody by surprise. If it does, you failed. Your job is to be clear and to not, like, uh, not surprise people. So uh, look for repeated words and work to discern a theme. And then build an exegetical outline and thesis. An exegetical outline is a fancy word that just means you're, you're just describing what the text is saying. 
in outline form. So I actually gave you an exegetical outline that I did. I think you turn the page uh, a couple times and you'll find build an exegetical outline and thesis. Okay. So I have a passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 39. There's an exegetical proposition, an exegetical outline. Notice my outline does not look like anything I would ever, ever preach. Okay? Because it's super detailed. It's all about the then. It's all about what the text is saying. It's not about the now. So go one more over, Charles. You got one more page. You see that building ex- So major changes, major points. Minor points to support major points. So you see how, like, my proposition is so convoluted. After Jesus pursues a tax collector named Levi to be his disciple, and Levi in turn invites Jesus and many other sinners into his home for a celebration banquet, the Pharisees criticize both Jesus and his disciples for a violation of accepted religious norms, their friendly attitude towards sinners, and Jesus responds to their criticisms by teaching a parable concerning the incompatibility of the old with the new. Okay, I would never, ever get up and try to preach that as a proposition or as a theme. People would be like, what, what? So, so you have, this is like the, this is like the, um, if you're building a sermon, this is like the blueprint. Okay. No, no one cares about the blueprint after the building's built, but you need the blueprint to build a building. All right. So you're going to, you don't have to do it this detail. This is a seminary level exegetical outline. Okay. So I'm just giving you an idea. And there's another one over here from Acts chapter 12. Same thing. Okay. You see two of them. Now go back to our, our, our stuff here. When you create an outline, that's called an exegetical outline. Okay, in thesis or proposition. I use the word thesis and proposition interchangeably. They're, they're the same thing. Okay. So when you're doing this kind of work, there are several kinds of outlines you can use to help you understand how a passage is structured. And so I give them a couple here. Story outlining and narrative. How many of you are doing narrative? Great. Narrative story. Yes. Good. Good. Um, elements of a story, character, setting, plot, and conflict resolution. So you're going to look for characters. You're going to look for descriptions or words or actions that are, normally, that are um, significant. In fact, why don't, we, um, why don't we go over to that new page I gave you guys. Studying narrative. We have five minutes. I want to try to get through some of this because uh, although not all of you are going to be, should be page 35, I think. Not all of you are going to be uh, preaching a narrative. This is helpful for you to think through. Uh, a lot of this is taken from the book by Joe, Lin- by Joe Linares called Pre- Proclaiming God's Stories. It's an excellent book. I have it in my office. If you're going to do a lot of these, I'd recommend buying it. Uh, the basic elements of historical narrative include each narrative has one main plot, and each plot determines the individual scenes and their arrangement. And then every scene must have a background, characters, and action, whether verbal or physical. So when you preach a narrative, there are several steps you need to take. Number one, you'd read for the structure, the seams and the statements, analyze the plot, analyze the scenes and their components. You relate each scene to the plot. You see how this is similar to our telos idea. You relate each one to the bigger idea. You develop the proposition, the outline. You develop the sermon around the story. Now, here are some questions to ask when studying historical narrative. What is the setting for the story? Okay. Does the passage indicate a historical setting? So, Daniel chapter 2, what's your setting? Well, it starts off, I guess... I guess like where the king is, like his palace. I guess that's where it starts. So what what nation? Uh, Babylon. Babylon. Okay, we're not in Israel. We're in Babylon. It's different. We're in exile. Okay, we're not talking about with King David and Solomon and the land and Canaan and the Promised Land. No, we're away from the Promised Land in exile. It makes a, it makes an important difference. Does the passage uh, indicate a historical setting or a geographic setting? That's our geographic setting where they are in the world. Historical setting uh, in exile is different from uh, the conquest. I'm doing the conquest right now. Joshua, it's a different setting. How does the narrative fit into the literary setting? That's the context, the book structure, the context, the book structure, et cetera, of the book, the Testament, the Bible. Okay, so where does it fit? Two, what is the point of view of the text? What is the point of view? 
How is the story being told? I'm going to give you an interesting example I think you'll find interesting. This week I'm preaching from Joshua chapter 22. Does anybody know what the story of Joshua chapter 22 is? It's a very unusual story. It's not told very often. But the, the three tribes who've been given land on the eastern side of the Jordan are told to go back home because they've done help. They, have, they are done helping the tribes settle the land on the western side. Their land has been secured for a while. They've been helping their brothers. Now they need to go back. They go back, and then word comes. They hear of this amazing altar that has been built right near the Jordan. And Israel immediately says, we've got to go kill these guys. Because they built an altar in violation of God's laws. So they send a delegation with 10 men and Phinehas, who was the one who put down the rebellion uh, at Baal Peor, to go and figure out what's going on. They go and they talk to the, 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 uh, the group over on the western side of the Jordan. And when they get there, they say, oh, no, no, no. We weren't doing this to sacrifice to God. We weren't doing this for a false idol. We're doing this so we could remember that we're connected to you. We don't want our children growing up on this side of the Jordan saying, hey, what do we have to do with those guys? No, we, we did this as a sign for our children and to worship the Lord. And Phinehas and the men say, oh, that sounds good to us. And they say, well, go back to Israel. They tell the people there, like, oh, sounds good to us. And there's peace. That's it. The point of view of the story is that you're not told that they have a, you're, it's told from the point of view of Israel, from the 10 tribes, or uh, yeah, who are going or nine and a half, whatever, who are going to go over and check on these other tribes. So you don't know their perspective, the Western or the Eastern perspective. You don't know why they built it. You just know it's been built. And so it creates in you some suspense. Like, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder why they built it. It doesn't tell you on the front end, oh, don't worry about this. It was just built for, you know. So in doing that, Joshua, the writer of Joshua, is, is, is giving us some tension and so, therefore, when I preached the message on Sunday, I, I made a decision. I said, you know what? I'm going to lean into this tension and lean into this suspense. I'm not going to assign the scripture reading for the early service to include the answer for what they're doing. Because that would give away the... Now, it's not a big surprise, but it, it, there is enough tension there that I want to be as faithful to the text as I can. And one way I'm doing that is I'm in my preaching... I've already made the decision. I'm going to use that tension throughout the message and try to build that up a little bit and say, hey, what's going to happen? Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. But you see how you need to pay attention to how the scripture is written and be observant because you're like, oh, that's the point of view of the text. And therefore, I'm going to preach it this way. I didn't just come up with that on my own. I said, I decided I'm going to be as faithful as I can to this. So what are the stylistic differences or stylistic devices that are employed to communicate the story? Um, man, we're running out of time. Stylistic devices include chiastic patterns. You know what a chiasm is? Chiasm is a biblical structure. It's not very common in our, our culture, but it's very common in, in, in uh, their culture. Uh, a key, uh, a key or chi is the, is the Greek letter uh, that looks like an X. And a chiastic structure basically means that it's this kind of structure where it's A, B, C, B1, A1. So it's like these, the, the extremes of the passage reflect each other, the middle reflects each other, and, uh, and then the very middle is something unique. Okay? It's, it's a structure in, 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 um, in, in narrative and in poetry. Very often, the extremes will, will reflect, the middle is, is similar, and then the very middle is unique. And this is the focal point. So in our, in our culture, typically, we focus at the beginning or the end. Right? In our culture, when we, we make emphasis at the beginning or the end, in the Middle Eastern culture, very often the focus is the middle. So look for stylistic things like a chiasm, um, uh, repeating words like hand, day, go up, love, etc. And we'll stop, stop there. Okay, can I just take a look at your uh, reading reports if you have them?